Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew will continue on in the Bible series from the book of Isaiah with this message entitled, God's Strange Book. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 28. Now here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Father, help us to hear your voice. Help us to hear your voice, not of judgment, not of destruction, which as sovereign Lord of the universe, you have the right, you have the right to destroy. But help us to hear the voice of salvation, voice of mercy, voice of compassion, voice of rest, and voice of peace. Help us to hear the voice that calls out, Come unto me, all those who are weary, all those who are heavy laden, all those who are under the yoke of iron. Come unto me, I will give you rest. I will give you peace, I will give you joy, I will give you eternal life, and you shall never perish. I will give you security. O God, may we hear this voice in the depth of our hearts, that we may be thoroughly changed and comforted by it. Spirit of the living God, Come upon us afresh. Fill us, O God. Let there be light shed abroad in our hearts. Remove all blindness that prevents us from seeing reality of judgment as well as the reality of salvation. May we be saved today. May we be healed today. May we be restored today. May we be comforted today. May we repent today and turn to you and be saved. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Isaiah. Chapter 28. God's strange work. And I especially want to speak to those who have been brought up in the church. Yes, it is a message for everybody. But it is particularly a message for those who have been born and brought up in this church. And I know there is a a service going on. Uh, For young people, they should pay attention to this sometime because it is especially applicable to them. God's strange work. Sometimes God does strange work with his own people. A work of destruction and not of salvation. When they act strangely toward him. 
not as his children, but as his enemies. So Isaiah, beginning with chapter 28, speaks of woes to the people of God. Look at verse 1. Woe to that reef, the pride of Ephraim's drunkards. Speaking about northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. Turn to 29, verse 1. Woe to you, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David settled. And verse 15. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us, who will know. Chapter 30, verse 1, Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine. Chapter 31, verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. Chapter 33 and verse 1. Woe to you, O destroyer, you have not been destroyed. Woe to you, O traitor, and so on. The Lord is speaking about the strange work he is about to do. And this prophecy can be dated just before the destruction of Samaria in 722 BC by the Assyrians, especially Sargon II. The northern kingdom was experiencing great material prosperity. Its capital was Samaria, which was situated on a hill 300 feet high, overlooking the valley of Estrelon, which produced, among other things, abundance of grapes. And we had the privilege of being on the top of the hill a number of times. A number of us had the privilege. So first, let's talk about what this prosperity did to these people. The prosperity made people very proud. Let me tell you, it is still true. This is the curse of this country and the curse of Europe. The prosperity made them arrogant and proud. So look at verse 28, chapter 28, verse 1. Woe to the wreath, the pride of Ephraim. Set on the head of a fertile valley to that city, the pride of those laid low by wine. And verse 3, the wreath, the pride of Ephraim's drunkards. 
And we are told as you read this chapter 28, the leaders, priests and prophets are here depicted as drunkards who eat and drink and vomit. And this idea turned with me to the book of Amos. Amos chapter 4 verse 1. And not only priests and prophets, but people also engaged in drunkenness. Amos 4 verse 1, hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Amos 6 and verse 1, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. Prosperity produces pride. They became proud and self-sufficient, and therefore independent of the God of Israel and his rule. They rejected the word of God and came up with their own false revelation and judgments as they were filled with wine and as they were drunk. We are supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And the leaders were to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God in order to understand God's own true revelation. But these were drunk with wine and they came up with false visions and revelations. Prophets and priests of Samaria were drunkards and they had no word of God. And this is what happens when prosperity comes in. People are proud. They indulge themselves in the pleasures of this world and they have no interest in the word of God. They had no awareness of reality. Pride makes people blind to reality. They were like the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3. Our Lord says, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Materialism leads to escapism and practical and theoretical atheism. And so, secondly, you notice they rejected the word of God. The leaders rejected and mocked the word of God given by Isaiah and other prophets. To look at verse 9 and verse 10. This is mocking. The leader is mocking the prophets of God and their message of salvation. Who is it he is trying to teach? To whom is he explaining his message? To children weaned from their milk? To those just taken from the breast? For it is 
Do and do, do and do, rule on rule, rule on rule, a little here and a little there. In other words, these sophisticated people are saying, you treat us, God, you treat us through your prophets, you treat us as infants and children with your message, with your doctrines of sin and repentance and trust in God and his Messiah. Your silly rules of conduct. Do, do, command, command. Here a rule, there a rule, and everywhere a rule. We hate this discipleship. You, we hate your control over our lives. We are not permitted to live the way we like. We are sick and tired of your silly rules. We do not put up with your treating us as mere children. We are sick and tired of this Bible. We read books and we write books. We have come a long way from the days of Exodus. We are now a very cultured People, we are educated, we are scientific in our thinking. We are modernists and postmodernists. We reject the idea that God created in the beginning the heavens and the earth. We reject the idea that there is a God. We reject the idea God communicates with us infallibly. We reject the idea that God has anything to do with our life. We reject the idea there is right and wrong. We believe in moral relativism. We will do whatever gives us pleasure. We should not be bound by primitive ideas of good behavior. We like to be grown-ups, self-reliant and autonomous. And as modernists, we reject moral law that binds us. We don't believe there is God, there is truth, or there is a judgment to come. That's the idea of verse 9 and 10. So they mocked the prophets and their divine revelation. They refused to be bound by the word of God. And look at verse 12. To whom he said, this is the resting place, let the weary rest. In other words, God's prophet spoke to them words of rest and peace and salvation. And this is the place of repose. But they would not listen. Jesus Christ said, as a hen calls to the chicks, To come under her wing. He called to them. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But they would not. Listen. It's not that they could not. But they would not. Listen. And that's the idea here. Turn with me to Isaiah 6. And I said here I am. Send me. He said verse 9. Go and tell these people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people calloused. 
make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. It's amazing that the preaching of the word can do that to people. The teaching of the word can do that to children growing up in Christian home. It's amazing what will happen when you listen to the word of God. Or turn to Isaiah 53 and look at the first verse. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The answer is not many. Not many has believed our message. And not many have experienced salvation of the Lord. Thirdly, let us look at the strange work. What is this strange work that we read about in verse 21? The Lord will rise up as he did at Mount Perazim. And will rouse himself as in the valley of Gibeon. To do his work. His strange work. And perform his task. His alien task. So when people. Because of prosperity. Become very proud. And when they reject the word of God. And they mock at God and God's word. He begins to do his strange work. So God does his strange work, his alien work. He is righteous God. He is holy God. He must judge evil even when his own people practice evil. That's why I said it is especially important to those who are born and brought up in the church. His eyes are purer than to behold evil. He does his strange work. That means this is not what he delights in doing. He delights to save those who humble, those who repent, and those who trust in him. In Ezekiel 18 and verse 32 we read, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, so repent And believe. And be saved. But when his own people mock him. He must punish. And he does. Turn to Isaiah 63. And let me read from verse 8. He said. Surely they are my people. Sons who will not be false to me. And so he became their savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Verse 10. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Now comes the strange work. So he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. That is called strange work. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29. 
this strange work has been prophesied long ago. Deuteronomy 29, beginning with verse 22, your children who follow you in later generations and foreigners who come from distant lands will see the calamities that have fallen on the land and the diseases which the Lord has afflicted it. The whole land will be a burning waste of salt and sulfur, nothing planted, nothing sprouting, no vegetation growing on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Atma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in fierce anger. Now listen, all the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to this land, God's country, to God's people? Why this fierce burning anger? And the answer will be, it is because this people abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, the covenant he made with them. When he brought them out of Egypt, they went off and worshipped other gods and bowed down to them gods. They did not know gods he had not given them. Therefore the Lord's anger burned against this land so that he brought on it All the curses written in this book. In furious anger and in great wrath, the Lord uprooted them from their land and thrust them to another land as it is now. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs, 29th chapter. We are looking at the strange work of God. A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed and without remedy. Turn to the book of Lamentations right after Jeremiah. Now let me read to you from chapter 2 of Lamentation. Look at verse 5. The Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. The Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. Look at verse 14 of the same chapter. The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The oracles they gave you were false and misleading. You know, we go around and finding our own pastors and our own ministers. And with itching ears, we listen to them. Why do we do it? Because they will never expose our sin. They introduce us to escapism. They will turn us, us away from reality. They will not speak about repentance. They will not speak about sin. They will not speak about atonement accomplished by Jesus Christ alone. They will not speak about saving faith. They will not speak about the coming judgment, you see. Now let me read from verse 20 of chapter 2 of Lamentation. Listen to this language. This is called what? Strange work. Alien work. Work that 
God doesn't like to do, but he must do because he is holy and he is just, he must do it. Take a look at Lamentations 2, 20 and 21. Look, O Lord, and consider. Whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring? The children they have cared for. Should priests and prophets be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? Young and old lie together in the dust of the streets. My young men and maidens have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered them without pity. Strange work, isn't it? Let's turn to this Isaiah 28 and verse 21. The Lord will rise up as he did at Mount Perazim. He will rouse himself as in the valley of Gibeon to do his work, his strange work, and perform his task, alien task that I spoke about, which make your blood curl. What happened in Mount Perazim? Well, Second Samuel 5 verse 20, there was King David. Philistines came against the people of God and he went under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And we are told in Second Samuel 5 verse 20, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies. In other words, God broke out, not against his people, but against his enemies and brought deliverance to Israel. That's his normal work. And what happened in the valley of Gibeon? Joshua 10 and verse 11. Here Joshua is fighting against the Canaanites in the valley of Gibeon. What did God do? The Lord hurled large hailstones down on the Canaanites from the sky. And we read more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. You see, again, God was saving his people and defeating his enemies. That's his normal work. But now, this God will turn against his own people. That's what verse 21 is telling us. That's why it is strange work. He's against his own people. Because of their mocking of God, their drunkenness, their rejection of God's prophet and his word. This God will turn against his own people who have become prosperous and proud and self-reliant and independent and have grown up. Who have become mockers of God and his word. And so here we are told in verse 21, the Lord will rise up against his own people to destroy them. And thus do the strange work. He will raise up enemies from the north, Assyrians, 
and Babylonians to deal with Israel and later Judah. He will cut down to size everybody. Look at verse 2 of 28th chapter. See, the Lord has won. The Lord has won. He is the sovereign Lord of the entire universe. Lord of history. All the armies of the world are under His command. See, the Lord has one who is powerful and strong like a hailstorm and a destructive wind, like a driving rain and a flooding downpour. He will throw it forcefully to the ground. Samaria, the wreath, the crown, and the garland, and the pride will be brought to the ground. Look at verse 4. That fading flower. That's the way man's glory is. It fades away. That fading flower, his glorious beauty set on the head of a fertile valley will be like a fig ripe before harvest. You see, the early figs appear in June. Normal harvest is in September. And people come and when they see this early figs, boy, they pluck it and swallow it. And so Assyrians are coming. They'll pluck you and swallow you up. And soon as someone sees it and takes it in his hand, he swallows it. Look at verse 13. See this people, boy, they hated the word of God. So then the word of the Lord to them will become do and do and do and do. Rule on rule, rule on rule. A little here, a little there. So that they will go and fall backward. You see, that's the most terrible fall. See, falling forward is better than what? Falling backward, you have no control. Then you reject the word of God and its direction. This is what will happen when you mock at the word of God and discipleship and God and his authority and his government and the kingdom of God. He will do his strange work. Will cut you down to the ground. And you'll be trampled, we are told here in verse 3 that wreath, the pride of Ephraim's drunkards, will be trampled underfoot, and you'll be swallowed like early figs, and you'll go backward and fall and be injured and snared and captured. And sent away our slaves to exile. Those who rejected God's word of rest, as we read in verse 2, verse 12, those who rejected God's word of rest, peace, and salvation must hear God's word of judgment when foreigners who speak to them in foreign language come and rule them and govern them and beat them and strip and the preacher tells you the word and you don't want to hear God brings somebody else and put his words into their mouths and they speak to you in tongues that you don't understand and he will crack his whips and he will begin to say do do rule rule turn left right move 
And those who didn't like discipleship, now you have no choice. You'll be driven, governed, and ruled, and brought down. This is, what is it? Strange work of God. They rejected God's salvation and trusted in self-salvation via idolatry and power politics. So they thought they could escape death, but they would not. Read it, it says, we have made a covenant with death. We are going to be exempt from death. We have devised a way of escape death and judgment. We are grown up. We know how to take care of ourselves. But notice verse 18, the latter part. Take a look at it. Did you say you have made a covenant with the death and you'll be exempt from judgment? It says you'll be beaten down. Look at verse 19 and you'll be terrorized. This message of self-salvation, though we like to hear because our reaching ears like to hear, but it is a pack of lies. It's a pack of lies. Number four, this does not mean that God will not save his elect people. He will save his people. But remember this, what St. Paul tells us, all Israel is not Israel. Only a remnant shall be a residue, shall be saved. And God will save them. Look at verse 5. In that day the Lord Almighty will be, glory, will be a glorious crown. A beautiful wreath for the remnant of his people. In other words, when vast majority of people pride about their own accomplishment and come up with their own salvation... When they reject the word of God and its direction. When they glory in themselves. There will be a residue of people who will glory in their God. They will worship their God. They will boast in their God. There is only one way of salvation. There is only one way. Wrath of God can be averted. There is only one way death can be overcome. There is only one way rest can be experienced. The proud shall not be saved. But he will experience the strange work of God. Mockers shall not experience rest. But a remnant shall be saved. But notice it's a very small remnant. Let's turn to chapter 1 of Isaiah and verse 9. Uh, Because this idea of remnant is a very important idea in the Bible. Isaiah 1 and verse 9. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. That is total destruction. We would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. But he does leave some survivors, a residue. Let's take a look at Isaiah 10, verse 22 and 23. Isaiah 10. And St. Paul quotes this in Romans 9, 27 and 29 to make the uh, assertion that all Israel is not going to be saved, but 
the elect will be saved. He always saves the elect people of God who will listen to his word and who will believe in the gospel and they shall be saved. Now listen. Chapter 10 and verse 22. Though your people, O Israel, be like the sand by the sea. That is innumerable. Multitude of people cannot be numbered. But listen to the language. Only a remnant will return. Only a remnant will return. And as the preacher preaches the gospel, those remnant over there, over here, over here, they love the word of God and faith comes by hearing the word of God and they put their trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's only one way. So number five, what is that one way? Here it is, chapter 28, verse 16. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. To those people who think they can save themselves, they can enter into a covenant with death. They pretend that disaster will not touch us, reach us. Those who believe in falsehood and lies... The Lord says in verse 16, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. Listen to this. This is it. See, I lay a stone in Zion. A tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed, will be ashamed. In other words, this is speaking about God's way of salvation. I, God, says... See, I lay a stone in Zion. In other words, salvation is by divine provision and initiation. You cannot save yourself. As these people were trying to know. They will experience God's strange work of destruction. But he will save his elect because he has laid a stone in Zion. In Zion means salvation is of the Jews. That's why Islam cannot save you. No religion can save you. It's Jesus Christ. The Jew will save you. He's the stone God laid in Zion. And not only that, it is said it's a tested stone. Tested by whom? God himself tested him. The devil also tested him. But this is what God said. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And what did Jesus himself say? He asked this question to all people. Who can convict me of sin? The expected answer is no one. He is tested stone. But he is also the testing stone. He tests us on the basis of his own perfection and righteousness. In other words, if anybody comes to him by his own merit, cannot be saved. But he who comes to him and acknowledges that he is a sinner, he has no righteousness. If he prays, have mercy upon me, a sinner, he'll be saved. He'll be forgiven of all his sins. He'll be given the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And not only that, he's a precious stone. He's the eternal son of God. He asks the question, who do you say that I am? And the answer is, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
He is the son of the living God. He is the stone not cut by human hands. Coming down from heaven to destroy all his opponents. He is God himself. Now we are told he is the sure foundation. He is a massive stone. He is a stone which is able to bear up the building of his church. The whole building. He will bear us. The people of God. He is immovable, unchangeable, unshakable, and everlasting stone. That you can come and put yourself on that stone. He will bear you up. That's the exact meaning. In Genesis chapter 15 we read Abraham believed God means he placed himself upon God. Turn with me to Isaiah 8. This stone language, stone testimonium is found here in, in Isaiah 8 and verse Beginning with verse 13, the Lord Almighty is the one you ought to regard as holy. He is the one you ought to fear. He is the one you ought to dread. And he will be what? A sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. See, this stone... Is also it's a sanctuary to those who trust in him, those who come to him, and it will be a stone that causes people to stumble and fall and be broken. Same stone. And Jesus Christ speaks about himself as the stone in Matthew twenty one and verse forty two. Quoting Psalm 118 verse 22 speaks about the stone that the builders rejected has become the most important stone in the building. Speaking about himself. St. Paul speaks that this stone is Jesus Christ and he speaks about that in Romans 9 verse 33. And Romans 10 and verse 11. Vast majority of his own people stumbled over him and were destroyed. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he cried out, say, come, I'll save you. They did not listen to him. And he prophesied what was going to happen and it happened in AD 70. But listen to Apostle Peter. Shall we turn to the book of Acts and chapter 4 and verse 11 and 12. He is, that is Jesus Christ, died and raised from the dead. Jesus Christ, he is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. And now he says salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Who is this stone that God himself placed in Zion? Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Turn to one more scripture which clearly brings the meaning out. First Peter chapter 2. And listen to this language. Beginning with verse 4. As you come to him. The living stone. You see. So him is Jesus Christ. The living stone. Rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. 
You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he quotes this, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, How come we are here? How come we are listening to the word of God? How come we are praising God? How come we humble before God? Because (laughs) this stone, this living stone made us alive. And made us living stones. And we are being built into a spiritual house. Priests and prophets of God. Praising God, loving God. We are saved by him. We understand he is precious. Hallelujah. And he is precious to us. See, his people are, in other words, going to be saved. The church is built upon this sure foundation. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. For his people who trust in this stone, it becomes the sanctuary. Salvation, rest, and peace. Didn't he say, come unto me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come and rest on me and you will have rest. The same idea. What must I do to be saved? Well, you can believe in your philosophy, in your science, modernist, postmodernist, scientist. My answer is go ahead, save yourself. Not only that it will not happen, but you must experience God's strange work. But if if you are a chosen elect person of God, as you hear the word of God, you have faith. And you ask, what must I do to be saved? What's the answer? A complicated answer? What is it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and rest on this massive stone. It will bear you up. And you will be saved. And your whole house. And God does his strange work. He will save his remnant. His elect people of God. They will glory in him. They will not boast in themselves. How can we boast? We who are saved by grace alone. We boast in the Lord. The Lord is our crown. The Lord is our glory. We the people of God experience salvation because... God has done for our benefit another strange work. What do you think it is? That strange work of God is seen in Isaiah 53, which says the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. That's a strange work. That strange work of God is seen at Calvary's cross, where God laid upon his son all our iniquities, and there he put him to death. That's a strange work. We must be put to death. Instead, he does something strange. He put him to death in our place. This is the gospel. This is the glory of Christ's salvation. He even cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. He was punished in our place. Let me tell you the cross also is a strange work. But I praise God for this strange work. 
we glory in this strange work, this substitutionary atonement. There on the cross for us, Jesus Christ destroyed our death penalty by his once for all death. And so the elect residue of people, a small remnant of people, they are now made able to cry out, O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me ask you some questions. Are you proud? Are you a modernist? Do you hate God's word and God's way of salvation? Do you hate his teaching of sin and repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation? Let me tell you what's going to happen. You shall be thrown to the ground and be trampled upon. You shall be swallowed up by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. The text says you shall be beaten down and be terrified. The text says you shall fall backward. You shall be injured. You shall be snared. You shall be captured. You shall be destroyed. You shall experience the judgment of God's strange work. I speak especially of those who are born and brought up in the church. But not yet. He's not going to destroy you now. You brought you here in this place to hear the word of God. Not yet. Isn't that wonderful? Not yet. Not yet. There is still time to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is still time today to come to him. He is the living stone who makes you a living stone. And you will be built into a spiritual house. That's what this is to be a holy priesthood. To be able to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. So let me speak to you. What we read in verse 22. What is it? Now stop your mocking. Now stop your mocking, or your chains will become heavier. The Lord, the Lord Almighty has told me of the destruction decreed against the whole land. That's what he's saying. Repent, in other words. Stop mocking. Be saved today. Be a new person today. Come out from our hiding place of lies. To the hiding place of truth. Hiding place who is Jesus Christ himself. For everyone who trusts in him. The text says. Will never be ashamed. In other words will be saved. But let me tell you something else. And this is what I want to tell you. Finally. This Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. To comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who grieve in Zion. That's repentance. To bestow on them, now listen, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. 
Don't tell me about salvation. Of the philosophers. And of the tech technicians. And of the sociologists. And of the arrogant church. There is no such salvation. Salvation is here. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. There will be a people who will be so transformed. They will display God and his glory and his beauty. Hallelujah. He gives comfort to those who mourn. And a crown of beauty instead of ashes. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Oaks of righteousness. That's salvation language. Let's praise the Lord. Let me ask you, people born, up, born in the church, brought up in the church, and anybody else. I personally do not want you to experience God's strange work. No preacher will want you to experience his strange work. To cut you to the ground, to be trampled upon, to be swallowed by the enemies, to be beaten and terrified, to fall backward, to be injured, to be snared and to be captured. No one wants it. But he will save you today. He will save you today if you trust in Jesus Christ alone. This stone that God laid in Zion, he will save you. Come and rest on him. He will bear you up. He will forgive your sins and he'll give you his righteousness. He will clothe you with garment of praise. He will make you glorious. Trust in him. He will save you today. He will make you whole. He will comfort you. He will give you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He will strengthen you. He will cover your nakedness. And you will praise him. It's a garment of praise. Heavenly Father, we pray that you help us not to experience the strange work of judgment. Thank you, O Lord, for opening our eyes. Faith comes by hearing. Thank you, O God, for granting us faith to trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. O God, we believe in him, we trust in him, we rest in him. We repent of all our sins. We glory on the cross. Where God has done another strange work. All this time. He who knew no sin. Was put to death. Praise you O God. For this plan of salvation. Which you devised. Help us O Lord. From this day forward. To be clothed with humility. To trust and obey God. Not to mock you but to praise you and worship you and embracing discipleship, glorying in your word, do, do. And maybe hear that voice from behind saying, this is the way, walk in it, and we will walk in it by the help of your spirit. We'll walk in it. It's the way of righteousness. It's the way of salvation. It's the way of hope. It's the way of joy. It's the way of rest. It's the way of life eternal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio, presenting this message from the Bible series on the book of Isaiah. 
Come back soon for more Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.